thankful this morning that we get to continue our time together in uh, the, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Um, Mark's account of the good news story of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we've been in Mark, um, this is the third week in the fall, but we spent all of the spring looking at those first four chapters of, of the book of Mark and seeing Jesus arrive on the scene. And Mark's gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. A kingdom that you long for, that you didn't even know you wanted, is here. And you know that because the king has arrived. And so, the, the story is, is about the kingdom, but it's more so about the king, and the character of the king, and who he is, and what he's done. This Jesus who shows up on the scene comes with authority, he comes with wisdom, he comes with power, compassion, and love like nobody's ever seen, and, and everyone who sees him is affected by this, one way or the other. They don't get to be the same. They either are stirred to anger and frustration or they are brought to a place of repentance and belief. And we see this authority, wisdom, power, and love in, in all of the things that Jesus has done. We see it in His miracles. The way that He comes and, and takes brokenness and makes it whole. The way that He comes to those that are sick and makes them well. We see it in His teachings and in His parables, the way that he, he takes what we have turned into something other than pointing to God, and He reminds us again that all of the teachings, that all of the law points to the character of God, that He is kind and compassionate, merciful, but He's also just. He's also righteous. And so Jesus comes and He's reminded us of that in His teaching. And one of the things that we really see, one of the things we really experience is the way that Jesus interacts with everyone that He comes in contact with. To those who are proud and arrogant, He comes and He humbles them. And that is kindness. That's compassion. To those that are broken and hurting, He comes and He tenderly says, I will heal you. I will forgive your sins. I will make you whole. And so while the king has the, the end goal of establishing his kingdom in mind, he does not overlook each and every person along the way. He interacts with them. He draws them to himself. And he gives them the greatest gift, him. And so today in this story, we see uh, Jesus coming with, to display his power and his authority and He does it in great compassion and tenderness. Two weeks ago we saw that it was His authority over nature that would calm the storm and settle the waves and bring peace. And then last week we saw that Jesus comes and He gives peace to a man who knows absolutely no peace, who knows no hope, who's possessed by demons, and Jesus has authority over the supernatural to cast those demons out. And so we have seen God's authority in nature both the natural and the supernatural. And today we see God's authority. We see His mercy and His grace at work through Jesus to heal an incurable disease and to raise from the dead. 
Why? That's the question. Why, why have we been given this picture? What do we see here that, that we need to carry with us, that we need to cling to? We need to see that the why is so that the people He loves and has come to save would have faith and believe. The greatest gift that He gives the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter is not the healing, but the gift of faith and belief. But He also gives them the healing. Let's pray today that God would open our eyes, that we would truly believe that because we're going to fight that. We're going to think that in this story, the greatest thing that they need, the greatest need that they have is the circumstantial need. And yet Jesus is coming and He's saying, no, I, you have a need that's greater than that and I'm going to meet that need in this moment of your distress, in this moment of your brokenness. I'm going to be present with you. God, we just thank you so much for your word. We know that it's a gift. God, to be able to have the words of Jesus that we can run to and remember is a gift to us. Lord, just forgive us for not running often. Forgive us for not treasuring it in our heart. But Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that is in every believer, Lord, that would help us to rightly understand Your Word, to see You for who You are in the Bible. God, and that Your, your Holy Spirit is working the image of Christ in us, the church. God, that we can be ambassadors, emissaries. God, those who would carry this good news, You've invited us to participate. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would hear the good news we would believe it and then we would proclaim it together. We ask this by your grace and for your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verses 21 through 26, we're just going to look at them together. Jesus comes in and he's crossing back over the sea. Like a lot of this, Jesus is getting his sea legs. He goes back and forth from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And now he's crossing back uh, many scholars think he's going back to Capernaum where he had to leave because the crowds were so big and he was, uh, just couldn't, couldn't do the ministry that he, he w wanted to do there. And so now he's coming back and the crowds are there still waiting for him. But in the midst of this crowd, two people come. And what we need to see is that these two people, while incredibly different, with different experiences, different stories, different hurts, they both have a need that they are bringing to Jesus. And Jesus is going to meet their need. First we have Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. And for us, we, we don't really understand what that means. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of understanding. He's not a rabbi. He's not a teacher. He's more the ruler that would take care of the house where traveling different uh, rabbis would come and would speak and teach and while he may not be a rabbi, he is esteemed in the community. He is thought highly of. And as a Jew among Jews, he would be very uh, compliant to the law. He would have right standing with the, with the Jewish community around him. They would think very highly of him. And what does he do? He comes, and in a moment of need... Because not only is he the synagogue ruler, but he's a father. He's a father of a daughter who is on the verge of death. And so he comes in need to Jesus. 
questions arise, like what would a father do for his daughter? And as some of you are fathers, you know it would be anything. Like you would do anything for your daughter. You would do anything for your children. What would he not give up so that he would be whole? And we see it in verse 21, or in verse 22, it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Any sense of pomp and circumstance is gone because Jairus' need is so much that he's not going to worry about, about the, the ceremony. He's not going to worry about how he should come. He just knows that he needs to come to this Jesus that he's heard about for, for a healing for his daughter. And he throws himself at his feet. We've talked about this a lot lately. That idea of abiding is a, is a whole throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus. At His mercy. At His grace. Saying, God, I'm letting go of everything. You do what you need to do. And that's where we see Jairus coming and throwing himself at Jesus' feet. He implores Him honestly. And he has belief. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Jairus has a, a belief that Jesus could do something. And I'm, I don't know, we're not given enough information to know if that's, that's been a continual belief or it's just that he is at the point where he has no other option except he's heard about this Jesus and so he comes to him and says, will you heal my daughter? While we don't know that about him, we do know that about the woman with the issue of blood. She doesn't even have, she's not named. She's just a woman who is coming to Jesus in the midst of this procession, in the midst of this crowd. But we have some of her backstory. She's had an issue of blood, an incurable disease for 12 years. She's wrestled with us. And this disease is, is one that the issue of blood means that she is unclean. And the beauty is we've already seen Jesus come to unclean and make them clean. And so we have an idea, even as we read this, like what's going to happen? But I think sometimes in the midst of that, we'll miss the, the desperation. What has she lost? She has lost everything because of this. She's lost all of her money. It says that she, she's gone to all of the physicians and now she's expended all of her finances and she's actually worse off than she was. She's experienced much loss, financial loss, emotional loss. To be worse off than you started will drain you emotionally and put you at a place of, of hopelessness and despair. Spiritually, she's lost spiritually because she's not allowed to gather in the temple in her state. And so she, she doesn't even have the community of the believers around her. She's lost relationally. She is as abandoned as the leper that we looked at in the spring and the demoniac that we looked at that last week who was by himself in the tombs tormented by demons. That's, that's the reality of her situation. And what does she do then? She runs to Jesus. We need to see that there's two separate stories here. 
We talked about possibly even preaching these separately because it's a longer passage and, and there's so much you can pull out of it. And my trust is that we will be the church together and we will go and we won't take this 30 minutes of teaching, but we will go and we'll say, God, what else do you want to show me in your word? But if you separate these two stories, you miss the complexity of it. While both of these people have the same need, they have truly different stories and different... One is ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. Like He is the, the top of that society. The other one is ceremonially unclean and she is despised and rejected by all of society. And yet they both have the same need of a Jesus who can heal. A Jesus who can save. Who can change the circumstances that they're in. Both Jairus and the woman think that they know what they need. Jairus is willing to give up everything for his daughter to be well. The woman, she's already given up everything so that she could be well. And this is, this is the last shot. She'll try anything because she just needs to be whole. But God truly knows what we need. And He truly knows what both Jairus and the woman need. And He meets them in that need. Both people can only see the physical and circumstantial need that they have. But Jesus sees a deeper need. He knows that physical healing is only temporary. But spiritual healing is eternal. The kingdom that He's establishing is not for the 30 years where He's there. The kingdom that He's establishing is an eternal kingdom forever and ever. And so the healing that He brings is most importantly an eternal healing. A spiritual healing. So we have these two people both coming to Jesus. Verse 27 through 34. We have the powerful miracle. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, if I touch even His garment, I will be made well. A couple things there. The idea that somehow she had heard about Jesus. I mean, somebody's telling other people about Jesus. There's a testimony going forward about who Jesus is and what He's doing that she heard about, and now she's coming to Jesus herself. There's a faith that's happening there. There's an active obedience that says, hey, I've heard, now I need to do something. Mark is, is quick to put this on display whenever he can. What does discipleship look like? Discipleship looks like hearing, believing, and then doing. This woman has heard who Jesus is, and now she's, she, she may have this imperfect belief, an imperfect faith, but she's still coming. She's operating in that faith to go and find Jesus and come to Him and meet Him. And, and also there's a, a mysticism about it, right? This idea that maybe I could just touch the hem of His garment. And often, if they would go to physicians in that day, some of those physicians were medical. Some of them were spiritual. Some of them were mystical healers. And so she's tried everything in the 12 years. And now she's... she's putting some of that on Jesus and this idea that if I could just touch the hem of His garment, I would be healed. I think that's a, a, a lesson for us today. That our imperfect faith, our even misaligned faith, God uses. And that's good. That's good that, that we don't have to have a perfect 
hold on to in faith, but we can come in the midst of our need and we can say, God, I need you. I know all the things you say are true in your word, but I'm having a hard time believing them, but I know I have this need and I could come to you and you can make me well. And what does she do? She touches the hem of his garment and she is healed. Is it the touching of the hem of of the garment, this, this perfect incantation or doing things right that makes the healing happen? No, it's Jesus. She has touched the source of healing she has gone to the one who can who, who brings chaos or who brings order to chaos that makes things whole, and she's come to him in faith. And he she is healed. In that moment, imagine what's going through her heart and mind. Twelve years. For some of you, that's a lifetime. For some of you, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's still a long time. Twelve years, she has gone everywhere, and then she comes with a little bit of faith, and she touches the hem of his garment, and she knows immediately that she's healed. The overwhelming sensation, because not only is her body healed, but now she's going to be able to be restored to the people that she loves. All of the things that she's lost, Jesus has given to her in that moment. That is powerful. That's amazing. And what does she do? She, she, she begins to, to take off because she's, she's like, wow! She's overwhelmed. And Jesus in that moment stops. And He says, who touched me? Maybe you're like me and you have this idea of prioritizing and so you, you prioritize the most important things, you get those done, and then you move on to the, the next impo- most important thing, and you get that done. Good news, God is holy, which means other, He does not operate that way. He has all of the priorities in control at the same time. So even as the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, there's a girl that's dying. We need to get to her. If we, if we delay here, and if we do this thing that you're doing, she's going to die. And that would be awful. But Jesus has perfection in mind. He has righteousness in mind. He has wholeness in mind. And so he stops and he says, who touched me? The disciples ask the question, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody is pressing against you. How could one person have touched you? Augustine says it this way. He says, flesh presses, but faith touches. Listen, all those people are around Jesus and they're pressing against Him, but that woman who by faith touches Him, she is healed. And Jesus knows it in that moment. And the gift that He's giving is not the healing, but the testimony to Him being the healer. Who touched me? So he asks again, who touched me? And the woman who's overwhelmed comes and and begins to tell the whole story. I don't know how long it takes to tell a 12-year story of brokenness and what she has lost. And then in that moment, Jesus has restored it all to her. But you can imagine that in that moment, everybody's thinking, but what about the little girl? Until they've realized that this is a little girl too who has been healed, restored, 
changed by Jesus. Even Jairus. You can think, like, he's probably losing his mind over there. What are we doing? But, but the gift that he's been given is no longer does he have to believe an unseen healer. He's seen that Jesus heals. He's seen it. And so now he has even greater hope. Jesus, we got to go. You, you can heal. Let's go heal my daughter. And so from the height of this, from the height of this moment where Jesus calls the woman daughter, and he says that you've been... <clears throat> daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. This moment where she's been restored, everything to her, and not even just the temporary life, but she has a faith that is actually a healing for eternity. A faith in Jesus that is drawing her from, from death in the temporary to life eternal. That's the gift that Jesus is giving this woman. Yes, she's healed. It's awesome. But He's giving her the, a testimony to His goodness and His grace and His power to save that she needs to hear and that everyone else there needs to hear. So He stops everything. She tells what God has done for her and everyone's amazed. From the height of this amazement, they get the news in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Mm. Can you imagine? Jairus is there and he sees Jesus heal this woman. And now his hope is, is filled up. And then he gets the news that, that it's too late. His daughter's dead. All the questions going through his mind. Why did we stop? What, what were we doing? If only I'd have pressed more and been more insistent with Jesus, maybe we'd have been there. The sorrow and the brokenness of this man for his 12-year-old daughter. And what is Jesus' words to Jairus? We go... Go from this mountaintop experience to the, the depths of despair and brokenness. The horrific news that Jairus' daughter is dead. And, and Jesus looks at him and He says two things. And these two things are intertwined. Do not fear. Only believe. This is the greatest gift that Jesus gives to Jairus. The gift of faith. Because the circumstances can change. You can have a myriad of circumstances, but if you believe, if you can say, I'm not going to fear, I'm going to believe Jesus, then it does not matter what the external circumstances are. Because we have an eternal hope that even if the worst that this life can bring us happens, we have eternity with Jesus. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Do not fear. Only believe. Jesus uses what we would describe 
as utter tragedy to bring the best gift that he can to Jairus. There's something there for us today. If you're in the midst of um, suffering, brokenness, a crying out to God that you've been crying out for for a long time, you've been given this gift, do not fear, just believe. Believe in the one who can make all things new. And what do they do? They go to the house. And in the, at the house, there's a, a, they're hit again with the reality that she's dead. There's these mourners that are, that are paid mourners. And that's what they do. They come and to, to a place where a death has taken place. And they mourn and they wail for the deceased. And so when Jesus comes and He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She's just sleeping. They laugh at him. Listen, these are professionals. They know. They know dead when they see it. And she's dead. And yet Jesus is speaking a different reality in that moment. A truer reality. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And in His kindness, He takes Jairus and He takes the mother of their daughter and He takes Peter and James and John. And they go in and they don't make a spectacle of this thing. But it's very intimate and Jesus meets Jairus in his need. And he goes in with him. And he sees a little girl laying there. Takes her by the hand in verse 41. And he said to her, Talitha kumi. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Listen, Jesus did change that circumstance. He did raise this girl from death to life. We will not discount that. That's a miracle. The greatest miracle that Jesus does is resurrecting the dead. But again, Jesus has this bigger picture in mind. The idea that by His resurrection from the dead, He would redeem all people. He would save all people, not just this one girl. And so he, He's going to the cross, but on the way to the cross, He's seeing the broken. He's seeing the weary. He's seeing those that are overcome with tragedy, and He restores them. He says to the little girl, arise. Which means awaken. Get up from your sleep. She does. Like, this is, there should be movies and books written about this because the, the height of glory to the depths of tragedy, back to the heights of glory, this story is beautiful and it's real. It's a real story of a real Savior who has saved people like you and I. The greatest need that, that little Talitha had, that the woman with the issue of blood had, that Jairus had, that Peter, James, and John have, the greatest need that they have is for belief and faith in Jesus who changes everything. 
It's the greatest need that we have. We've come this morning thinking that we know our needs. Just like the woman with the issue of blood and just like Jairus, we think we know what we need and if God would just fix that, we would be set. They both knew what they needed, but Jesus knew what they really needed, that they really needed to be saved that they needed faith, that they needed belief, and in the midst of what we can guess might be the worst moments of their life. I can't imagine it being much worse than having your daughter dead. Having your body ravaged with a sickness that no one can cure. Listen, if there's a, if there's a peace for us today, like that speaks to our, our current moment where people that we know and love are dying, where there is sickness and brokenness that is real, and yet Jesus speaks a better word, just trust Me, believe in Me, have faith in Me. In the midst of their worst moment, Jesus uses their circumstances to give them the greatest gift ever. The gift of faith in Him. Today you come thinking that you know what your greatest need is. But God, the Almighty, the All-Knowing, the All-Powerful, knows better than you do. We come and we think, man, my marriage is a mess. That's what I need. We come and we think my kids are wayward and that's what I need. We think that it's, it's our health, our bodies are broken. And maybe some of you have suffered for a long time. Maybe it's your job, you... Your finances, your relationships, your addiction, right? We have this idea of what our greatest need is. But Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, stands before us today and He says, do not fear. Don't look at the circumstances and let them dictate what is truth. Only believe. Believe in Me. And when you believe, He says, arise. Get up, awaken, speak that same truth. Go and tell. Now to them, he told them, don't tell anybody. Because he's got a, a mission that we've talked about. That mission of restoring all people. The mission of healing all people. That he's going to go all the way to the cross. Galatians 2.20. This idea that by faith in Jesus, we like Jairus' daughter go from death to life. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. How? By faith. That's life. It's the life that Jesus is giving is faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. At the cross, Jesus bore death that we might have life. He bore our sin and our shame. He suffered the penalty of that sin and bore it on Himself so that we would not have to bear it. And He died and He resurrected. And that resurrection is better than the resurrection of this little girl because that resurrection brings life to all of us, not just one of us. And Jesus has done that. And today, if you believe, if you have the gift of faith, you too are raised from death to life with Him. We don't have to walk in these dead ways anymore. We don't have to ascribe glory to these dead things. We get to ascribe glory to the one who is alive, who heals, who restores. More than healing, we need to know and believe the healer today. 
We need to trust in Jesus who promises a hope that goes beyond our circumstances. We need a faith in Jesus that's going to sustain us with His presence in the midst of the suffering. I can't promise that you won't suffer anymore. I don't think that Jairus' daughter no longer suffered. That that's the end of the story. And she was well and everything went perfectly from then on. I don't think that the woman who had the issue of blood that was healed, all of a sudden all those relationships just came back and it was perfect. No, she probably suffered more. They probably suffered more, but they had Jesus in the midst of that suffering. That was a gift that they've been given and it's a gift that we're given today. We need this hope in Jesus. And He's working faith and belief in us so that we too will testify. Right? That's why he, he, the testimony that was heard by the woman and she acts on that testimony and then she comes and she's healed and she testifies. We need to testify. We cannot take this and just hold it to ourselves and be like, oh yeah, it's great. No. We go and we become proclaimers of this good news that we know a healer who heals more than just the temporary physical, but he hears the eternal, heals the eternal spiritual. We are by grace both recipients and distributors of this good news. Ephesians 5.14, Paul quoting the Old Testament says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's us today. We have been saved. We have been resurrected. Awake, O sleeper. Rise up that Christ might shine on you and shine into the world that is dying. This morning I pray that we would believe that to be true. That we would rest in that. That that would be what sustains us no matter what the circumstances say. And that we would proclaim that to a dying world that needs to hear it. Amen? Amen. God, we thank You. God, You are so gracious and kind to us that we would have this Word, that we would be able to hear it, God, and it would change our reality. It would be a better reality than the one that we, we've suffered in and looked at and, and let dictate our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings. So Lord, we pray that we would arise, that we would live in light of Christ in light of Your glory, in light of Your truth, and that we would be proclaimers of that glory to a dying world that needs to hear it. We ask this in Your name. Amen.